Today we're talking to Chip Rogers, President and CEO of AH&LA. Chip's gonna to explain to us what's in the new $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. We're gonna find out how much is in it for hoteliers. Spoiler alert, not a lot. Fortunately, Chip and his team are working really hard on some new hotel-specific legislation. Let's find out how we can help. Chip Rogers, thank you. Thanks for coming on. I feel like one third time coming on TikTok, so I appreciate it. But I feel you like, a, I don't know, sideline correspondent uh, for Hunter coming back to report on whatever the topics are in Washington, D.C. that we all need to know about. Look, I, I would I would love to be a sideline correspondent. Uh, in a previous life, I did some <laughs> sports broadcasting. Uh, really enjoyable stuff, but unless you make it big time, it doesn't really pay the bills. But um, but thanks for having me on, Teague. Uh, you know, this is not quite as exciting to talk about uh, as sports, uh, but still important, very important. Well, and you're not getting paid much from this side. So. <laughs> yeah, the, the pro bono on this one, my friend. <laughs> All right, so help us educate us. So, and I, I got to be honest, I'm, I'm thoroughly confused at the moment by everything happening in Washington. But we just passed $1.9 trillion. Tell us what's in it. Tell us what's in there for hoteliers. Uh, tell us if there's any real change. Educate, so, please. Yeah, so look, the if you don't mind, I'll start too with kind of where the administration is and, and how much different it is. During the Trump administration, it was really Congress that was driving the debate because you had a split Congress, Republicans in the Senate and Democrats in the House, and they were the Democrats in the House weren't going to let it be President Trump's plan. In this particular case, since day one, it's been President Biden's plan, and the way he's laid this out, it does make sense, and that is the first tranche, or the $1.9 trillion, um, is supposed to be addressing, in large part, um, the immediate economic pain of consumers who are still without a job and trying to deal with, with getting rid of the virus and getting us back to normal. The second legislation, which we'll talk about in a little while, uh, is really meant to be the, quote, economic stimulus. So in this $1.9 trillion, about a third of it uh, is actually going to people in the form of the $1,400 checks uh, that a couple up to 150,000 in annual revenue or annual income can can uh, can get, um, and then of course extended unemployment benefits. And so um, you've got the unemployment benefits and those checks that equal about a third of this. The rest of it really goes across the board to things like helping out schools because the president said he wants every child back in school. Now, I still kind of shake my head because. And I know you and I have talked about it. My kids have been in school since August with, with virtually no problems. So I'm not sure why you need to throw billions and billions at a problem that's been solved in, in large part in most places. Um, you've got that. You've got a lot of money for, um, for getting the vaccine out and, and putting more money into the, to the rollout and the distribution of this. And then as with any political package, you've got a lot of nonsense and fluff in there that, that uh, really doesn't have a whole lot to do with coronavirus. But politicians always take the opportunity on both sides of the aisle uh, to inject their favorite pet projects into these type things. Uh, yeah, that's probably my concern, but we'll get back to that. Uh, all right, talk to me. What's in it for hoteliers specifically? I mean, I, a little bit of bias. There's a $25 yeah. billion in there for restaurants. I like to think we're a bigger industry, the hotel industry, than restaurants, but what's in there specifically for hoteliers? Uh, nothing specifically Great. for hoteliers, but I'll, I'll talk about that in just a second, kind of where we're headed there. To clarify on the restaurants, it's important to note that this is only for independent restaurants and only for rather independent small restaurants, and that's where it's targeted. Um, and look, they have um, some very famous chefs now that happen to be favored by a lot of very important people in Congress. And um, as good as our as good as our work is, those chefs uh, have a direct line to some of the very top people, and 
and they were able to get some money in there again for the independent restaurants. And it was a little interesting because, um, you know, the National Restaurant Association who we worked with very closely uh, had had to really kind of walk a fine line here because most of their restaurants, um, I shouldn't say most, but a good portion are branded restaurants who don't get anything with this. It's just the independent small restaurants. But that also, um, you know, if you're a full service hotel and you have a restaurant in your hotel, arguably you can make the case that you're going to be eligible for that as well, depending on how the ownership is structured. Now, with respect to hotels, um, that is going to be hopefully included in the next package. And we've got a really big announcement coming very soon on some legislation uh, specifically directed uh, only at hotels and especially those hotels that have been hurt most. All right. Well, you're getting me excited and maybe we'll get there but before we get off. So I don't know, maybe I, I was, my next question was going to be about liability. That's a big concern for the hotel industry. Is that in this package? Uh, that's not in this package. It won't be in any package for the next two years. Um, you know, one thing, Teague, before I go to that, I, I did forget to, to mention, and I think it is important while certainly not direct to hotels, those $1,400 checks, the, the first time they were handed out way back uh, in early 2020, did result in a lot of people going on that leisure travel that we saw over the summer. And so we're hoping that that $1,400 check is used for, for travel. Um, that, that would certainly benefit our industry. We're expecting a huge summer for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah. Our quote is if you haven't booked your trip for between Memorial Day and Labor Day, book it now. You, you better book it now. And, and if you're trying to get Florida, you're probably out of luck because right. I was just down there last week and it's, it's completely booked up. But going back to your issue on liability, um, we've said from the very beginning that that was a critical issue. And in many ways, it's the single biggest issue that's holding back business travel. As I talk to a lot of CEOs that typically have people out in the field, um, they are really concerned about the, the, the liability of what you and I know to be shakedown lawsuits. And so um, Mitch McConnell had made that his number one priority. Of course, Mitch McConnell, because of the two losses in Georgia, is, is not the majority leader anymore. So he's not setting the narrative. So the chances of the Democrats passing it um, are between zero and zero. Uh, it's not going to happen in the U.S. Senate, uh, and the president wouldn't sign it anyway. So where we're seeing that activity is at the state level, and we have been actively engaged. It's our top priority at the state level. Um, we have about 17 states that have passed it into law so far. Um, the two big ones that we're looking for in the next few weeks are Florida and Texas. Uh, we don't see anything right now that's going to stop that legislation in those two states. So once we get Florida, Texas, a handful more, uh, plus the 17 that we've already got, um, you're going to have over half the country and clearly over half the country population uh, that will be un in a state where there is some sort of protection. We think that's really important to get business travel going again. Uh, is that enough at the state level? Well, it's never enough. I mean, we want all 50 because you hate to have a patchwork. Um, but once you get the big states like a Georgia, North Carolina, a Florida, a Texas, um, you're beginning to see, uh, you know, these, these things are going to happen. I mean, even some of the northern states, uh, Wisconsin passed it recently with the Democrat governor signing into, into law. So it shouldn't be a partisan issue. It really should be a bipartisan issue because it's common sense. Um, but, you know, the, there's a, some of the really bluest of blue states are probably not going to pass it. All right, then keep going. Uh, I'm going to let you keep talking about what's uh, about what we're passing. I don't know if it's at the federal. <laughs> stay on the federal level. So yeah, let's stay at the federal level. So you know, the 1.9 trillion is passed. Again, there's some you could argue economic stimulus and the checks going out, the extended unemployment for folks. Um, there's also an extension. This is one thing I I try to remind business owners every single time I'm on any program like this. And again, thanks for giving me the opportunity. If you and your accountant have not looked at the employee retention tax credit, please do. Um, that was extended again in this, in this bill, which is extremely helpful. 
that employee retention tax credit um, outside of the PPP is probably economically the single best thing that has happened uh, for hoteliers. Um, so, so please take a look at that. So that's what has passed. What will be introduced soon, hopefully, uh, is the Build Back Better plan. Um, this is going to be uh, really the administration is characterizing this as kind of the economic stimulus plan. Now, one of the things they're doing is kind of waiting to see how the economic stimulus that passed in the final CARES Act back in last December that President Trump signed into law, how does that ultimately play out? And so, you know, just today we saw the spending numbers uh, were down in February, so that's not necessarily exciting. But with interest rates holding fairly steady, um, with Fed policy the way it is, uh, with unemployment coming down steadily in most places, particularly in places like Florida and Georgia, um, we'll see what kind of uh, stimulus package comes out of this. But we will be heavily engaged on a hotels only portion of this stimulus package to make sure that the hotels that have been hurt most are getting some significant relief. Tell me, what's that, what's that going to look like? Foreshadow. Well, um, so we haven't had our big announcement yet, but I will tell you, we have to thank Senator Schatz out of Hawaii and Congressman Christ out of Florida, who will, will be introducing this legislation. And um, we have to thank our friends uh, in organized labor, who we are united on this one. Uh, it'll be legislation that is geared towards uh, making sure that hotel employees are taken care of. Uh, in fact, a good portion of the funds will be meant to go to hotel employees. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of flexibility for owners to use that to meet debt requirements, to pay property taxes, of course, to pay your typical expenses. So it'll almost be like a PPP on steroids. Um, again, we're hoping this will get passed. Uh, we've been doing our work now for, for really four or five months on this specific legislation. It will be geared towards those hotels um, that have felt the most pain. So if, if you're a Florida beach hotel and you've been doing well, you're probably not going to qualify. Uh, but if you're an urban city center hotel near a convention center, you're definitely going to qualify. And so um, I don't want to spill all the beans yet because we'll have a big announcement soon. Um, but it's it's going to be something extremely helpful. Uh, I wanted you to spill all the beans. <laughs> My staff's probably already mad at me for as much as I've said so far. Yeah, that's uh, great. But, but there's no better show than Teak Talk to, to talk about these things. I couldn't agree. Well, right, we'll, we'll have you back. You, come, you can come back. Um, but thanks for writing for us, though, because we need it. Um, all right, talk to me about, I mean, boy, that that, found, that feels like a big announcement because that's what people want because they're hurting out there. You know, they've made their arrangements with their banks and their lenders, but that's kind of coming to an end right now. Uh, so I don't know if this is going to get passed in time to help anybody or not. Sorry to yeah, keep talking about if, your if, program. If this stuff passes, you're talking uh, mid-summer um, for a timeline. Uh, here's my biggest fear. And people say, what, what kind of keeps you up at night? What keeps me up is what you and I were just talking about a minute ago. The leisure travel boom is going to give people a false sense of security. And I'm not talking about people in our industry because we understand that without business travel, meetings and conferences, uh, leisure travel alone cannot sustain the industry. Right. What we're really concerned about are lawmakers saying, oh, everybody's going to a hotel right now. You don't need any more help. And they don't realize that come September, when the weather starts getting cooler again and people are finished with their vacations, if there's not business travel and meetings to, to back that up, going to be right back in a bad position again. So what do we have to do to get the business traveler and the meetings convention going? Through Safe Stay, uh, we just re released our fifth iteration of that. Um, we put a lot of work into that. And when I say we, this is we have a Safe Stay Council that really includes uh, representatives from the entire industry, all the major brands, ownership groups, Ambridge, you know, large management groups, AHOA is on there as well. 
And what, what that last version really does, it creates a checklist for having events. Um, I think the combination of that, the vaccinations, some of the incredible technologies that are coming out around testing, rapid testing, I think it'll get us there. But none of that matters if businesses don't have the confidence to begin booking these things. And they are slowly but surely booking them. What we really need, Teague, as you know, is wonderful things like Hunter to come up with as a perfect success, which I know it will, so that everybody else looks around and says, well, that was great. We need to do more of that. It's going to take that type of confidence to get, get those uh, large meetings and conferences going again. All right, keep going. Uh, and are we spending too much money? When do I start being worried about spending too much money? You know, uh, the fiscal conservative in me, which is <laughs> is, is pretty important in, in my political belief system, um, says that anytime you're spending money on something that's unnecessary, you're wasting money. Um, I think we've grown as a society to accept that in government. I think the unfortunate thing that happened here as you looked through the process that began way back last February, more than a year ago when, when Congress passed the first bill that had anything to do with coronavirus. You remember those first few bills were, were all bipartisan. In fact, a few of them were unanimous, like literally no one was opposed to it. Even the bill that was um, passed in, in December, keep in mind that was a Republican Senate, a Democrat House, and a Republican president that signed it, there was pretty much unison, not 100%, that that was the right thing to do. Unfortunately, with this bill, it was 100% partisan, and I'm hoping that is not um, where we're headed with this. Because if that's where we're headed with this, I think some of the fiscal restraint that we, that we need uh, is not going to be in place. So, you know, no one disagrees that Congress should be helping those people and those businesses that have been hurt by the pandemic, particularly hotels who, who, who through no fault of their own, but because mainly government lockdowns and shutdowns have had their businesses impacted in a way they couldn't have prepared for. Um, those are the folks that legitimately need help. Just throwing money at things that you hope make sense or to buy votes or to gain influence, that's always been a problem in Congress. Uh, it's been a problem, frankly, with both parties, uh, and it's certainly a problem in this legislation. So uh, sooner rather than later, we need to get back to some fiscal restraint. I will always say this, though. Single best answer to solving debt problems and deficit problems is just like in your business. You've got to have economic growth. And so the policies that we implement need to spur economic growth. That's why I hope they don't go back and revise the tax cuts, because those were, I mean, they've been proven to be extremely successful for creating economic growth. They're talking about it, right? They're talking about they got to pay for all this stuff somehow. So, well, that's uh, window dressing in many ways. I mean, it's it, it, it's we got to pay for it when we get to tax somebody we want to tax. Um, yeah, correct. We're not too worried about paying for it when when we're not talking about taxing people we want to tax. So, uh, I, yeah, I don't know that I put a lot of credence in that. Um, the the tax reform is working. There's no question about it. Small businesses everywhere, you know, the tax policy is working, bringing money back to the United States because of correcting what was horrible corporate uh, international tax policy. Um, has been extremely beneficial. So I, I hope they don't do that. Um, tax policy should never be red or blue. It should be about creating growth, which lifts all boats in America. All right, so talk to me about the the next package. How big is it going to be? How big is the, I don't know, call it stimulus, but the Build Back Better program yeah. may have yeah. some hotel stuff in it. They, they haven't necessarily put a, a, a price tag on it yet. We'll hopefully see that in the next month or so. Um, a lot of it, Teague, honestly, is going to depend on how the economy continues to play out again. As things improve, um, I suspect there'll be more and more pressure to scale it back. Um, I'm not so sure that we need to be doing that. I think what really needs to happen is the focus has got to be on those businesses, those industries that have been hurt most. You know, as we talk about a lot, hotels were hurt first and hurt worst. 
along with airlines and cruise ships and 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 restaurants and and the, and live performances and things like that. And so, you know, where we can invest there, um, I think is important. You know, if you think about what happened over the last year with Operation Warp Speed, you know, you and I were talking about, you just got your first shot. That could never have happened at any time in human history until now. Operation Warp Speed, no matter how you cut it, was a major success in being able to bring, uh, bring vaccines, successful vaccines to the market. What I would like to see um, with this next round of money, uh, and even the money that they have now, is, is that same mentality brought to testing. I mean, if, you can, if we can create a vaccine that fast, we should be able to create an, literally an instant test that if I want to go into uh, you know, a restaurant or to a basketball game or, or a live music venue, that I can get tested and know my results in 90 seconds. That can't be out of the realm of possibility for a country that just created vaccines in less than a year. Yeah, why don't we have them? I mean, it's more well, we're getting closer. Yeah, yeah, we're getting closer, but I just don't think the emphasis has been put on testing as much as it should, because as you know, that's the key. Because take a person like myself, I haven't had the vaccine because I just had COVID back in January. And so I got a, I got a, a time frame here that I've got antibodies to where I, I don't necessarily need that. And so the real question is, is, if I want to go into an indoor music venue, uh, am I dangerous or not? Do I have the virus? And so if I can do a 90-second instant test, that should solve all the problems. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I'm, I think that should be here because there's always some concern. So, again, when is this virus thing going to be over? We're all way off topic. But well, it's going to be a year from now, we're still going to have questions. I'm going to throw my, this is my Georgia Tech math I'm going to throw in here. Right. So if you, if you look at the number of people that have received or the number of shots that have been given, it's, it's just over 100 million now in the U.S. You look at the percentage of people who say they're going to get the vaccine. Uh, last I saw, it's ranging about 65%. Now, some of those folks will receive two shots. Some of those folks will receive one shot. So if you took that number of people in the U.S., 65%, that's going to be about 215 to 220 million people. And so um, you're going to need somewhere between 350 to 400 million shots, uh, probably. We've already given out 100. Uh, and by the end of this month, we're going to be giving out 3 million per day. You can see pretty much everyone who wants to get vaccinated will have had at least the first shot by the end of May and probably the second shot by the end of June. Yeah, that's exciting. Do we then get to open up and go run around and do whatever <laughs> we want? We know open up is uh it's not someone said to me the other day and they make a great point you know think of your light switch it's not an on and off it's it's really like a demo and so Florida is is bright it's as bright as these lights that are shining in my face right now um, New York and places California to a certain extent though they're opening up a little bit more are less open and so it really depends on where you're going in the country but Tig you know as, as you and I talked about what's happening in Florida and I want to point this out because this is critically important. Policy matters. If you look at the uh, STR numbers, I, I went back, well, I look at them every week as I know you do, but I went back four weeks ago in the dead of winter. You know, you were talking about the middle of February. Typically at that time, if you compare four cities, you compare Tampa and Miami versus LA and San Diego, those cities will be running very similar occupancies. They're warm weather cities near beaches that in the middle of winter people want to go to. Four weeks ago, Tampa and Miami were running at about 15 to 20% occupancy better than San Diego and Los Angeles. Now, why is that? Well, there's only one reason. The weather's great in both places. It's that Florida was open for business. So if you're planning leisure travel, 
and you're thinking about going to Florida, you say to yourself, well, great, I could go there. The, you know, the restaurants will be open, the beach will be open, everything will be open, and, and my vacation is not going to cancel. But if I book California, I might have to worry about the governor coming out yet again and saying that we're going to shut that down. And so um, I think that's what we're seeing in the marketplace right now. So the sooner there are some standardized decisions across the board and what's going to be open and what's not going to be open, consumers will make the right decision. Yeah, we're starting to get back to some of that personal responsibility more and more, I think. Well, you know, and what's really interesting, there's a great article, um, saw a LinkedIn article on it yesterday. There's a great article in the Wall Street Journal recently comparing the policies of Florida to New York. And, and the reason those are so, I, I think, so appropriate for comparison is that one has been relatively shut down and one has been relatively open. Um, they have, Florida has, according to the last census, 22 million people and New York has 21 million people. So population-wise, it's almost the same, but their policies have been actually almost different. And if you look at the caseload in Florida right now, as of yesterday, I checked it, there were actually slightly fewer cases in Florida and uh, slightly fewer people on a seven-day rolling average that had died from the virus compared to New York. And so if you start looking at these case studies, we can draw the conclusion of which policies are working and which policies are not working. And this idea of economic shutdown doesn't seem to pan out for preventing the virus from spreading, but we do know that it kills businesses. So that seems so obvious, yet that's also seems so anti everything we're doing right now. <laughs> well, it comes down to sadly a red or blue issue, and, and that's what people have got to get past. Quit, quit looking at politics, turn off your cable television, uh, watch tea talk and things like that. Don't, don't, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, everything has become red or blue and politicized. And it's sad because most Americans, you know, you and I included, you know, we just want to help everybody. You know, it doesn't matter what political persuasion you are. And, 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 and by the way, no party has a lock on good ideas. And so figure out which policies work, which policies don't. Let's do the ones that work and let's not do the ones that don't work. So, uh, speaking of politics, uh, what's it been like working with this administration versus the last administration? I'm curious. Really good question. So um, it's it's interesting. This administration um, is is far more cautious. I would say far more process oriented. Uh, the last administration was very wide open. You can almost see it in the fact that Donald Trump had a press conference almost every day, and I think President Biden's had one since since he became president. Um, that's just a different view of how they look at interacting with the media, messaging, and things like that. Neither one is good or bad. I'm just saying that's, and that's how their administrations operate for the most part as well. Um, so we've had some really good uh, communication with the Treasury Department, trying to get things like the Main Street Lending Act to work or, or you know, reinstated and work. Um, and so it, it's, it's been good. Um, you know, we're, of course, concerned about the labor issues, and that is the one issue where the last administration and this administration have the biggest difference. Um, but the Biden administration has a lot of very professional people. And so across the board, the relationships are good. Uh, they have not been difficult to work with by any stretch. It's just a, a perhaps a slower, more methodical process than the last administration. All right. Um, you but, mentioned on, but, on, but on labor, it's, it, there's a huge difference and one we should be concerned about. Explain. I was going to dive in there. So I'll just let open-ended let you explain. Yeah. So... Um, the the president has made, I mean, no bones about it. He's not trying to hide it. He said he's going to be the most pro-labor president in history. And we're certainly seeing that. Um, a lot of the things that we were able to successfully uh, prevent from happening during the uh, Obama administration, which we didn't have to concern ourselves with during the Trump administration, are back in full force. 
Um, for example, the, um, the, there's, there's two ways this stuff happens. It happens through the Labor Department slash National Labor Relations Board, or it happens through legislation. The, the House just recently passed a piece of legislation called the PRO Act that everybody that is listening to me now should be very, very concerned about. It is probably every um, wish list labor item over the last 10 years rolled up into one, uh, into one bill, um, from, from card check to, to secondary boycotts to micro unions to, to the worst part of it all, it actually erases all right to work laws in every state. So a place like Georgia or in Indiana or someplace that has right to work laws, those laws would be off the books. Now there's gonna be a court challenge to that, no question about it. But that's the mentality is that uh, major unionization of every industry would be a good thing for America. That's what's included in the PRO Act. And so it passed the House. And if the filibuster were to go away in the Senate, it would pass the Senate. And the president has already said he would sign it. So if you're looking at the one piece of legislation, probably 10 times worse than tax policy, 10 times worse than anything we've seen for business uh, in decades, this one would really change the nature of the relationship uh, between unions and management uh, in a way that I'm not sure we would recover from in quite some time. All right, you're uh, doing a great job of scaring the crap out of me. <laughs> well, we need to be scared for this one. It's called the PRO Act. It, it's, it's bad. What, what are the odds it passes? What are the odds it just fires up the bases and fizzles? Well, uh, using my light switch analogy, uh, this is not one of those dimmer things. This is either lights on or lights off. And so um, if the filibuster uh, stays in place, uh, it's not going to pass. Uh, there's not a single Republican in the Senate that supports it. If the filibuster goes away, uh, it is probably going to pass. Uh, you still have a chance with Senator Manchin and Senators, uh, Senator Sinema um, to do the right thing and, and, and stop something this drastic from happening. Uh, but the pressure, look, if they're going to do that, if they're going to vote to get rid of the filibuster, they've probably already made the decision to allow this to pass. So um, it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. I would say it's less than 50% chance happening right now. But you know that's like saying, um, you know, you got slightly less than a 50% chance of being hit by a car. You got to be real scared about that. All right. Uh, keep scaring me then. What, what, <laughs> what, what else is on the table that I should be panicked about? Uh, that's, that's certainly at the, the, the top of the list. No question about it. Uh, again, the tax policy that I mentioned earlier um, could be, it could be devastating. Um, I, I think that the economy is in a place uh, and the stock market clearly is in a place um, where there would be enormous pressure not to do something so dramatic. But look, there are folks who look at tax policy not as economic policy, not as how it impacts the economy. Um, they look at it as a tool to punish those folks that they don't like. Um, that's never been then the reason to have tax policy or any policy for that matter. Uh, but there are some people who look at it that way. If you hear this notion of, I mean, you see people holding up signs, punish the rich. Now they may have a difficult time explaining to you what the rich is, or, or, and I guess that depends on where you are in your life. Uh, I can assure you that uh, my 21-year-old who's trying to find her first job out of college, her view of what rich is and somebody else's view of what rich is might be completely different. And I'm not saying by any way does she support these policies. But um, there are folks who, who use the tax policy to go after others. Um, it's frankly un-American, uh, but we should be worried about that because um, some of those folks do have a considerable amount of power right now. So that one of the tax policies that I just saw yesterday from Biden that was just floated out there, I, which you know more about than I, so I'm asking, was the whole uh, raised tax on people over, making over $400,000. It was raised the corporate tax to 28%, uh, capital gains tax. And there was a fourth one in there that I'm blanking on right now. And all of that, according to the CDO, said uh, uh, 
will raise $2.1 trillion over 10 years. Yeah. Um, so, which will, of course, be spent immediately. That's not, that's not pay down today. We just spent right? it, didn't we? Um, well, yeah. Uh, look, I'll use the capital gains tax as a perfect example. If you go back and study it, uh, it's pretty simple to see. The, the Actually, the lower it is, uh, the more economic activity you get. Now, of course, if you lower it to zero, you would get no revenue from it. But frankly, I think that's where it should be because it's money that's already been taxed once. But the capital gains rate um, has been used time and time again, just simply to punish people. And as you know, all it does is restrict transactions of capital. The last thing we want to do in an economy is restrict the transaction of, uh, involving capital. Um, you know, we should be buying and selling things for the, because they make economic sense to buy and sell at that point. Taxes should not be the decision maker uh, for whether you buy and sell an asset. And all you're going to do is hurt the economy. So that's one of those that I think is the textbook example of people who use that simply to punish others they don't like. Because economically, it makes no sense to raise the capital gains tax rate because it frankly doesn't help anybody. You, you, if you look at it in a static measure, you may say to yourself, okay, if we have this many capital transactions happening right now and we apply a higher tax rate to it, it's gonna raise more money, but they never look at the dynamic matter that everybody in the real world looks at it. And that says, well, if you raise the tax rate, there are going to be fewer of those transactions. So um, it, it, that, that's just a perfect example of really, really bad policy. And those type of things, frankly, should not be contemplated by anyone who's trying to do the things that are going to help everyone. It's, I'm going to pick on real estate industry. Is 1031 Exchange on the board anywhere? Boy, I hope not. Um, yeah. You know, it was on the board, and, and you and I and many others fought to save it many years ago. Um, and in the last major tax revision, um, there were changes to the 1031 Exchange. Now, I will say that over time, people had used the 1031 Exchange in ways that it was never intended to use, and it needed to be cleaned up, and it was cleaned up. So now, for the most part, 1031 exchanges are limited uh, specifically to real estate transactions. It's been around 100 years, um, and it is really good policy. It's same theory, and that is keep, the, keep these transactions flowing. The taxes will ultimately be paid. As you know, you have to pay them at some point. Uh, but keep the transactions flowing because that creates the best use of that particular property. And when you have the best use of that particular property, um, it helps everybody. For example, um, a warehouse that may not be being used right now. Um, if you were to get rid of the 1031 exchange and someone wanted to come in and take that warehouse and turn it into lofts and they couldn't do so because they didn't have a 1031 exchange, well, then, that, then the warehouse just sits empty. The lofts aren't built and housing prices in that local area continue to go up. So it actually hurts the very people that, that, that the proponents of getting rid of it say it helps. And so some of these are just basic economics uh, that sadly we don't teach well enough in school anymore. Uh, but long, long answer to a short question. Hopefully the 1031 exchange is safe for now. I'm going to keep picking on your uh, fiscal policy knowledge. Uh, are, are, should we be concerned about inflation? I mean, we're printing so much money right now. It's $7 trillion-ish already, and you got a whole other package coming. Yeah, every time you print a new dollar, the dollar in your pocket is worth less, yeah. right? Um, and so at some point, there, there, there's going to be a uh, – we're going to have that point where, where inflation is, is going to be an issue. Um, right now, we've, we've seemed to have been able to escape it. Um, you know, Chairman Powell, who I, I think has actually done a pretty darn good job, um, has kind of navigated this pretty well. But you're right. Um, if you keep printing money, um, then at some point, um, somebody's going to have to pay the price. And it, it really helps or it really hurts those people that have, that have saved their money most. If you're a saver and you got money in the bank, 
um, and the, the government keeps printing money, again, that money in the bank just becomes worth less and less. Uh, agreed. That's part of what scares me, but we'll move on. Uh, let me also ask about, I got to ask you, $15 minimum wage. What's your thought there? So it was included in the original $1.9 trillion package, um, but the because of the rules of how things are passed in the Senate, um, it ultimately went to the parliamentarian. The parliamentarian said that that is not allowed in this particular package. I won't delve into those details, uh, but nonetheless, it is a major policy issue that is being pushed right now. Um, even the Republicans have uh, argued there should be a, a higher minimum wage. Um, and I think most people agree that it, it, it needs to be raised slightly, um, but it should be done on a regionalized basis. And, and this is where I think the big fear, I have two huge fears out of this. It's the $15 is, if it were phased in over time, doesn't scare me that much as does uh, no appreciation for a regional um, minimum wage and, no, and, and if they include the automatic increase every year, that is probably the worst policy of all because you know you can be in a recession and under this pop under this proposal the uh, minimum wage will continue to go up and that doesn't make any sense whatsoever it's it's frankly it's lazy legislating i mean it's not an easy decision either way on the minimum wage but you got elected to office you you're, you're meant to make those tough decisions and so don't just put it on an autopilot because that doesn't make any economic sense so hopefully there'll be a regional approach to this that recognizes you know, that a $15 minimum wage in Arkansas doesn't mean the same thing in, in, in uh, Washington, D.C. or downtown Philadelphia. Um, but we'll see. It, it's some version of a higher minimum wage is coming our way. I'm just concerned for all the hoteliers. I mean, we, the labor issue is a real thing. I mean, we got $15 minimum wage coming. They're still struggling to get back. Oh, by the way, they're trying to open up and hire as many people as they can. And they're, they're not able to. We're seeing that as a real problem right now. They can't hire all the people they want back because you can get benefits uh, for not working. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's an issue. Oh, by the way, now you mentioned in the union stuff. I mean, these are real labor issues, real headwinds for our operators. Huge, huge headwinds. Yeah, no question about it. Um, the employee retention tax credit will help a little bit, uh, but that's temporary. Um, and what ultimately happens when you raise the wage above the, when you, when you create an artificial wage, and that's any wage that is above um, what the market forces would dictate, is that you you know, Tegan, every everybody that's ever employed somebody ever understands this very simple policy. And that is you have a certain amount of resources that you can use to pay people. You can't have more than what you bring in or you go out of business, right? So you only have so much. What you will ultimately do is have to take the money from your highest performers and give it to the people that just walked in the door on the first day because you may have raised, the government may have forced you to raise that wage artificially above where it would normally be under, under market conditions. And so you're not, you can't just magically make money, right? So you have to take it from somewhere and it's going to be from those highest performers to give to those other folks. And, and that's really unfortunate. That's not the way it should be. And there's a rate game. If you're, make, if you're charging $55 and I'm charging $255, we can afford different things. Well, yeah. And, and a lot of that depends on where you are. I mean, look, a regional approach is already in place across the board on a multitude of issues. Just look at unemployment. Your unemployment benefits are dramatically different from state to state because the cost of living is dramatically different from state to state. Uh, that's a great point. You know what? Let's pick on states. So I know state legislators are in session a, a lot of places right now. So what are we learning from there? You mentioned one earlier, but what are we learning there? Um, what are you about? 
Yeah, well, as someone famously said, uh, you, you know, you, you can never rest while the state legislature is in session because you don't know what's going to happen. They move at a, a much different pace than Congress. I mean, we talk about these bills in Congress that take months and months to pass, and that's not a bad thing. In state legislatures, you can have an idea passed into law in two, three days if you wanted to. And so you have to really keep an eye on that. And uh, almost every state is legislating right now. Some of the things that we're, of course, looking at are anything pandemic related, coronavirus related. As I mentioned earlier, our top priority is liability protection at the state level. Uh, and we're having some pretty good success there. You're seeing most state legislatures deal with coronavirus related issues, even things that you wouldn't think of, like um, the state has to align its tax policy with the federal tax policy. So for things like PPP, if you recall, one of the big successes we had in the last package was making sure that the PPP money that you get and that you spend is actually deductible. Um, well, states have to align their tax policy with that so that that happens at the state level as well. And so those things are happening. Um, we're seeing some movement in and around uh, illegal short-term rentals in places like Florida and in Texas. Um, still some legislation out there dealing with human trafficking. We're, we're very supportive of ideas of, of mandated training to stamp out human trafficking. Um, you have occupancy taxes that are going up in places like Florida, which are, which are very, not Florida, but Portland, Oregon, which is very unwise. And so uh, a lot of things happening at the state level, but for our biggest uh, and top priorities, we seem to be faring pretty well right now. Okay, great. Keep, keep it up. Yeah, how, we what, what, how, how, and how can we help? Maybe ask that. How can we help? Look, the single best thing that anyone can do is sign up uh, at hotelsact.org. Uh, and, and I say this all the time because we got to get that number higher. Um, it's free. And I'll repeat that again. It's free. It takes about 90 seconds to do it. It is simple. It's hotelsact.org. And what this does, so everyone understands, is when we have an issue at the federal level or even at the state level, if you're part of hotelsact.org, we send you an email with the message pre-populated that is going to go directly to your member of the legislature or you're a member of Congress and it's going to come from you. All you have to do is hit send and it goes from you. Now, when we started 2020, we had about 4,700 people that were part of Hotels Act. We finished 2020 with over 50,000 people. Now, you may ask, well, what, what does that matter? I'll give you one perfect example. We had a piece of legislation in Maryland we were working on just a few weeks ago. And if you would ask me, Chip, last year, if you sent out an action alert to just hoteliers in Maryland, how many messages would you have generated to the Maryland legislature? An educated guess would have been at most about a thousand. We did do that a few weeks ago and we ended up getting over 19,000 in a 48 hour period. Now, when you can generate 19,000 messages to legislators in a 48 hour period, they get the message. And so when we're working on issues to defend and promote our industry, we gotta have that tool available for us. So if everyone is listening to me now that supports the hotel industry, We'll just sign up at hotelsact.org. Um, it'll make a huge difference. Again, it's free. It takes 90 seconds. It's super simple. That is uh, that is impressive, by the way, 19,000. And if I, I said it before, thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, if We'll do our part. We need to make you a celebrity. They <laughs> have their celebrity chef. We need our celebrity chip uh, so that we can go fight for us. And befriend I'll, I'll, be, look, I'll be glad to be the sideline reporter. <laughs> uh, you're doing a great job. You're, you're, you're going to raise all right, so tell me uh, in closing, what are we going to talk about? When am I going to have you on again next? And what are we going to talk about when I have you on? Hopefully soon, uh, hopefully before the Hunter Conference. Uh, we're going to talk about people um, traveling again at, at amazing rates because the vaccine has rolled out. Uh, the confidence level of people has rolled out. The economy is still doing well. Hopefully the stock market's doing well. 
uh, people are going to have in the back of their mind that their job is safe, their 401k is safe, their real estate, real estate value is safe. Hopefully we don't have $4 a gallon gasoline because we're trending in, in a much higher direction there. That stops travel, which is not good. Um, so hopefully we're going to be talking about a lot of good things, including uh, a hotel-only bill passing in the United States Congress. That's the one we're working for. That's yep. the one we're working for. All right, super. Uh, this is fantastic. You're the man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. you uh, keep fighting hard. We need you. And uh, we'll keep sharing the good work. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Bye.